Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I am Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, the Director of Music Ministries. During these unprecedented days of physical distancing and leading online worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that share the challenges of producing online worship and finding ways to help those worshiping with us to stay engaged and feel connected even from a distance. So today's episode is is a conversation that Diana and I are going to have centered on reopening our churches. We thought we would share some of the information that we are hearing about churches that have reopened or are planning to reopen or or looking down the road for reopening, just so that we could share perhaps a word of encouragement and hope, but maybe even caution to the churches who are engaged in that thought process. And we hope it is a thoughtful process that you are spending a lot of time with the leadership of your churches thinking about how this is going to happen. I know many of you have been doing that for months now in preparation for the time of reopening. We also know that some churches have already opened uh, and others are still waiting for another time later on. But one of the things we've discovered is that there are some churches who have reopened and then decided to close down again. So we want to be careful that we're taking the, the right step. And one of our primary messages from this podcast is take your time. Take your time and think about the process. Think about what's all involved in that. Think about how best to continue being the church and yet protecting the lives and health of the church members and the community around you. So please don't rush into this. Uh, just because there's a desire to gather together again. We, we all miss that time when we felt free enough to just hang out in the same space and to wrap loving arms around one another and to share even, in Paul's words, a holy kiss from time to time. But, but such things are not going to be possible in the new world we're discovering. So we just wanted to sh- talk a little bit, uh, just kind of off the cuff, about what we've heard and what we're experiencing. And I really want to turn to Diana. Diana was involved with a a large group of academics and church leaders called the Ecumenical Consultation on Protocols for Reopening. And she was a a part of that, did some thinking about that. And, And I guess, Diana, what I'd like to hear from you is what's the first thing or the biggest thing that you learned in that very all encompassing process that you engaged in there? Well, I mean, one of the biggest things that um, all of us learned that we're in that part of that consultation was that, you know, we're all trying, we're all doing our best. We're all trying to figure this out. It's a moving target, you know, week to week, we hear different things and everyone's trying to um, think about the best way to care for their flock, their church members, um, and have the best information possible. Um, But we're, we're making it up on the fly. And that was very evident in those meetings. The meetings consisted of people from uh, many different denominations. We had some bishops, we had agency leaders, 
uh, Episcopalians, Roman Catholics, United Methodists, and so forth. But we also had uh, medical professionals there and some representing the CDC. And so whatever we wrote, uh, we all wrote different briefs. Um, Some briefs were about what do you do in this time um, for burial and for marriage. And uh, of course, we've talked some about the communion. How do you do communion at this time? Uh, Especially, and all of this is about going back into our weddings, a sanctuary or a church. So, um, but anything that we wrote, the medical professionals would look at that and would say, yeah, that makes sense. That doesn't make sense. And so it wasn't, we weren't writing these things in isolation. And we all looked at each other's briefs and we had a, a really good polling system um, to uh, be able to voice concerns, but also uh, say, yes, we agree with that and we should move forward with that. So this brief became this 32-page PDF document that you can find in, on, mo- on many websites, uh, care-filled worship during this pandemic. Um, and now we're actually, I'm working right now uh, with some Spanish-speaking pastors and church leaders to translate it into Spanish. And that should be going up probably even on Friday of this week or maybe next week. Um, so we're continuing to put out this information as best we can. And, and as I said earlier, it's a moving target because things are changing and this virus is changing. It mutates. And so, so uh, we're all trying to figure out how to care for each other. So who do you listen to? I mean, that if things are changing so much, we, we even see disagreements or or changes in the scientific uh, understanding of how the virus is spread. And so, so who do we then turn to uh, for advice? Well, that's a good question because we have the scientists, the medical professionals, and then we have our spiritual leaders. And I, I hope that our spiritual leaders are listening to the scientists and medical professionals. I think they're the ones that really have the best um, knowledge of all of this. Um, and I, what it all boils down to, in my opinion, and what I was seeing in this consultation too, is that let's err on the side of caution. There may be a variety of opinions about different things on how to reopen our churches, how many people can be in the room, all those sort of things. Um, but let's always err on the side of caution because if one person in our um, congregation gets sick, that's one too many because we, we gathered in a certain way. Um, so that was, that was a big takeaway. And I, and I believe that that's where, where most of us are coming down is let's really be cautious about how we do this. As, as I look at the chatter on the Facebook groups and, and clergy pages of different kinds, I, I see a weariness about trying to follow all the rules and it's almost too much. You know, you, you said 30 some pages. I thought it was 55 pages that, that document. That came. It just seemed like it almost went over the top with that. So when you say err on the side of caution, that, that means involving a whole lot of different things that, that we tend to not think that much about. And yet all of a sudden now we have to pay attention to that. And I know for one thing, you, uh, as the director of music ministries for discipleship ministries, you have been thinking an awful lot about singing and, and part of our 
part of the weariness is how can we be United Methodists and not sing congregationally? Uh, What's the challenge there? Oh, my goodness. I I feel the lament, um, not only among church musicians, but all of us that gather for worship. We're all just mourning right now that we can't be in a room together because we this is how we express our grief with each other and and support each other is through our singing and through our liturgy and and um, in the hugs and um, and we can't do that and that is that is so hard and but what I think it does do is afford us an opportunity to to take a step back and think about why are those things so important to us. Why is um, singing in a room together where we breathe together, where we vibrate our chords together, and even our heartbeats end up linking together uh, according to the tempo of some of the songs that we're singing? Um, why is that so important? And, and I think the bottom line is it's, it's unifying. And, it, and in that unifi- unifying, there's healing and there is harmony, and, and there is a sense of belonging. So the, then the question is, can we do that in other ways that don't require vibrating our vocal cords? And, um, and I think there are. I think there, uh, you know, we can look at the songs that we love so dearly, and we can hear them being played instrumentally on the piano, on the organ, and perhaps if we're not singing, maybe we're looking at the text a little bit deeper mm-hmm. and um, almost doing a Lectio Divina. So I, again, I think there's just some creative ways that we can be thinking about our congregational singing that doesn't involve us actually vibrating our chords and, and, and then spewing out aerosols that then linger in the air for, for minutes, if not hours, and then creates this super spreader effect. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we have an opportunity to look at things a little bit differently. You know, sp- um, clap using our bodies, clapping, stomping, swaying to to mm-hmm. songs together. Um, that that affords us a little feeling of unity and connection to the the hymns, even if we're not singing them. I I really appreciated the the comment you made about paying attention to the text. I, I've often, uh, even when I was pastor, I even stopped hymns in the middle and say, do you hear what you just said? <laughs> and we pay attention to that. And sometimes we sing those songs and we don't even realize what, what the meaning is, what the words are, because we just sing them, you know. And, and you're right, mm-hmm. the experience of singing together and that unifying thing sometimes overwhelms the words. And yet so yes. often a lot of our hymnody, particularly Wesley hymns, are so profoundly theological. And to be able to step back now, because I'm not trying to hit all those notes. Right. Or sing in harmony. Or, or sing in yeah. harmony. Or, yeah. Not, not make a fool of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit back and say, okay, what are we really saying here? I, I think that would be a valuable experience for everyone. I also yeah. Think, I mean, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I also think that that movement idea connects back to the hospitality issue, you know, share their peace of Christ. And that's that's understood historically to be a handshake and maybe a hug around there. But now we wave or elbow bump or, or bow to one another. And, and those movements have now taken on a deeper meaning because they are, first of all, protection. We're saving ourselves and one another. 
from whatever we may be sharing, uh, but we're also transforming that experience together. So I, maybe maybe some congregations can learn to sway better if we practice that. A little bit <laughs> if they could all just go in the same direction, wow! <laughs> right. yeah, I never could would... get my choir to uh, every single person go in the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think, Derek? About um, what are some of the things that are at the uppermost part of your mind as we? start to think about regathering in, in our worship spaces. What, well, yeah. a lot of these same things are on my mind, too. As singing, I, as a preacher, I love listening to singing, and I, you know, I stumble through my best and try to sing, too, and, and feel that connection. But, but also what drives me as a preacher, I know how hard it is to do this online preaching, where you don't mm. have an audience or people who are going to respond to you preaching the way I have always taught it is it's a dialogue and we're engaged with people and responding to people. It may not be as verbal as it is in the African-American tradition with the, with the call and response uh, in preaching, but, but it is there in every church and to pay attention to how people are responding. And when you're preaching online on Facebook live or however else they're doing it, you often don't see that. You don't, you don't have that ability to, to, so I think preachers preach better when people are close by, when people are there. And so now the idea that a preacher might have to stand behind a plexiglass shield or something so that his or her preaching doesn't get those aerosols out too, you know, that, right. that's a bit of separation. And yet at least we could see through that. And I think there's something valuable in, in that seeing one another. But I, I also worry about churches and how connected they feel, mm. um, and and I know we have been attend. We were attending a church here in Nashville, and since the pandemic, we watched them faithfully on Sunday. But but it's hard to feel a part of things, even though they try their best with different ways to plug in, different Zoom classes or conversations to have. And um, but uh, you just wonder how churches are are emphasizing that relationship piece uh, that's uh, and, and I wonder yeah and I wonder too how the leaders be it the pastors the uh, lay leaders or the musicians are all feeling connected right now so that they can continue to lead you mentioned feeling tired and mm-hmm. um, yeah I just I think we're hitting a point right now you know it's a summer summer is this is july the summer doldrums and energies tends to go out at this point anyway um and here we're just months into this online experience not really seeing where the end of the tunnel is quite yet how do we stay fresh how do we stay vibrant um and I know, you know, sometimes it's fake it till you make it sort of thing, you know, <laughs> you're in front of a camera and you just got to fake it till you make it. And, but do you have any suggestions on what we can do to, to keep our well, spirits? I think, yeah. I think John Wesley was told, preach faith until you have it. And then because you have it, you will preach. That's, that sounds better than fake it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we ought to publish that one instead. Okay. <laughs> but it's the same sort of thing. You know, it, is, it is reach out and do what you can and, and hope that there's a connection there. But, but I really think that the focus of churches in this time, whether they are working toward 
coming together physically or whether they're still holding that off in, in a distance. And, and, and let me encourage any churches who may be listening who are saying, are, are we being too hesitant by, by waiting? And I would say no. No. Um, I, I've heard from some, some who are, who are going to wait till the end of the year or, or the beginning of yeah. next year even. Yeah, a lot of people. The Unitarian Universalists say, we're not going to start coming back together until May of 2021. So that's a whole denomination that just said, you know, we're not going to do this. So and one pastor we interviewed said, we're not going to go back until everybody can come back. Yeah. And that's, that's a long wait. But they, they had a very clear uh, vision for how they're going to regather again. Well, because some of the ones who are coming back now are discovering that there are parts of their congregation who are saying, no, we're not ready. We don't feel safe. We don't feel comfortable. And, and we appreciate all the things you're doing in, in the church to make it happen. But, but I don't want to take that risk. Sure. And, what, and what's surprising to me is that that's not just our older adults who have various health issues. I've heard from millennials who say, my own daughter who, who came to visit for a while told her own church, says, I'm not ready to come back. I don't want to get out and be around all of you people. Uh, so, <laughs> so everyone is a little nervous about all of this. So let's, let's be yeah. careful. But let's the question careful. still is, how do we emphasize the connection? How do we emphasize our relationship with one another? Um, and, and I think that that needs to be the emphasis of these next few months, whether we're moving toward a specific time of coming together or whether we're continuing uh, uh, an online presence, um, that we ought to be thinking, how can I connect with people? Mm-hmm. Not just present something to them, not just broadcast something to them, but, but connect with that. Maybe that's the telephone. Maybe yeah. that's mail, you know, snail mail, writing letters or, or doing something. I think there are a couple of questions that need to be guiding us. And the first one is, who are we missing? Mm. Who has not heard from us or who have we not heard from since this all began so that we can then reach out and kind of gather in the, the, the folks who may have been, who may feel left by the wayside. We, you know, I'm not sure what metrics you may be using in your church to, to count who's coming in, but we often don't have addresses or, or names. We just have numbers. And so we don't always know who's really tuning in. And so, who are we missing? Who can we reach out and connect with? Another yeah. issue is how can I find other voices mm. to be heard and not just mine as the preacher or mine as the worship leader? How can I let other voices be heard through our worship experiences? Mm-hmm. And maybe some of those are from neighboring churches. One of the things that that we learned is that there were a number of churches that has essentially just shut down during this mm. pandemic. They're not doing anything because, because the technology is too difficult or their congregation is uh, not equipped to, to handle yeah. it. So they're just not doing anything. But what's probably happening is that some of those are connecting with another church somewhere, mm. watching another service online or on TV or, or something. And so, so how can we, connect with those other churches and say, could someone from our congregation speak or share a word or, or be present so that at least when someone tunes into another church, they, they see their congregation represented as well. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful act of hospitality that would be, wouldn't it? To be able to, to share the platform, if you will, 
with another church. And you were talking about other voices. One of my favorite Sundays, well, several of my favorite Sundays um, in my home church would be when the youth would do their testimonies from their mission trips or Emmaus Sundays. um, And we would have two or three people speak and tell their their story. And that was just so enriching and so community building because I never saw those people, those youth or those adults the same way again. I felt like I had a, a direct connection to them. So right now, this is a great time to be able to do those sorts of things and have people have their own, you know, record themselves and, and do a testimony. Right. And because it is easy to do, even though some may feel intimidated by the technology, almost everybody has a cell phone, and mm-hmm. almost everybody, and, and certainly they could record just a little video of them telling their their story. I think it's I think it's an appropriate time for us to recapture the, the, the church discipline called testimony. And we hear from one another and share from one another. It's not always a one-way thing from the preacher. So let's emphasize that connection. Let's find ways of plugging into to the larger body so that we have other voices that we hear from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, revival in, in 2020. That's right. <laughs> Why not? This could be this could be a good thing for the church. We're worried about the the long term impact of of all of this, uh, and some people are afraid it's going to be the end of the church. I remember seeing an article um, by Mike Slaughter, you know, one of the leaders of the Methodist yeah. Church, who said, "Is this the end of the church?" Um, <laughs> I think he was just trying to be provocative, but but there are some who are concerned about what the future is about. But it could be a revival. It could be a reminder. That the church is more than the building, always has been more than the building. And now we we are forced to acknowledge that and to embrace that. Yeah, so I've even I've heard people say it's really um, it, uh, it's forced us to think beyond some of our disagreements. Um, and nothing does that better than something that we all share together in this global pandemic and sort of helps put things in perspective. Not that it's going to fix anything at the moment, but I think maybe this is giving us time to think um, a little bit harder about what's really important and how we how we can be unified as a church. Yeah. I, I pray for that all the time. Well, I so, certainly think that our overall message is take your time. Take yeah. your time. Do it right. Think about all the implications, even stuff that may have a tiny instance of, of something going wrong. But if it could, it, it will in the church somewhere. So, so cover all your bases. Reach out for resources. The protocol, you can access it through our website, the umcdiscipleship.org, and, and other places you can find that. But listen to CDC. Listen to your Episcopal leaders. Listen to, to lots of folks who are trying to help you do this. You're not alone. No. You may feel like you're alone in your church making all these decisions, but you're not. You're not alone. There are people there to support you who want to help you and to walk with you in that. And figure out what a good timeline is for you. We don't necessarily have to do what the church down the road is doing. We do mm-hmm. what, what makes sense there. But through it, throughout, let's find out ways to stay connected and to care for each other and to care for people around us. Let's just be safe in all of this. Amen. That's the message. Amen. 
Well, we appreciate you listening in today. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We hope it's been helpful to you. And remember always that you can find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. So until next time, we'll be praying for you and with you and your congregation. So may God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.